Welcome to Proven Improbable, where we focus on metals, mining, and more. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Joining us today is Sam Broom. He's an investment executive at Sprott Global Resource Investments. And today we will discuss nickel and cobalt propositions for your portfolio. Mr. Broom, welcome to the show, sir. Maurice, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. We brought you on the show today uh, because you've truly carved out a niche uh, for yourself in the space with regards to nickel and cobalt. Many speculators don't hear much about these metals and the value propositions that they may present. So we're delighted to have you on the show here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I'm looking forward to it. So let's begin our discussion here with nickel. And Sam, at the 10,000 foot level, share with us the supply and demand fundamentals for nickel. Sure. Uh, nickel is actually quite an interesting market. Uh, it was a it was a darling back in the sort of early to mid, even to late 2000s up until about 2007 and 8, uh, where the price rose dramatically. A lot of pay, a lot of people and a lot of speculators made a lot of money in the nickel market in the 2000s. Uh, what basically happened uh, was the Chinese came up with a new way of producing. Uh, largely stainless steel, which is the main use for nickel. So, formerly they were using, uh, you know, refined nickel um, to produce stainless steel, which is nickel is a fairly rare metal. There's not a lot of not a lot of high quality deposits out there. Um, but what they did was they figured out a way to turn um, ferro nickel, which is basically a you know an iron rich nickel uh, dirt um, weathered weathered rock. Um, and you'd be able to use that uh, as a replacement for refined nickel and creating uh, stainless steel. So that truly was almost like a, a shale, shale oil moment for the nickel market and drastically changed the, the cost structure of the industry. Um, it also coincided with, I guess, the, the global financial crisis in 08, and then nickel promptly fell off a cliff. It was trading for about $54,000, $55,000 a tonne. It was as low as I think almost seven thousand dollars a ton about a year ago. Um, so that's we're talking an eighty percent decline over the last ten years um, in terms of the nickel price. So what resulted was all of a sudden you had this flood of nickel um, or, or iron-rich nickel, nickel pig iron or, or ferro nickel that flooded into the market from places like. Uh, Indonesia and the Philippines, um, and, it, and it basically destroyed the destroyed the price of nickel. If you look at a chart of the uh, you know a long term chart of the nickel the, you know the, the refined nickel stores on on the LME, you'll see exactly what happened. Uh, basically, supply went through the roof, um, and we saw this huge accumulation of nickel. The nickel the nickel market was in a huge surplus for for, for years and years, um, and so. We, to, the, to this very day, we've still got there, there are still huge amounts of, of nickel on the LME compared to historical norms. So that's why a lot of people still steer clear of the market. Uh, one key thing to note, though, is the last few years, nickel is actually the nickel market or the refined nickel market has been in a deficit. So if you look at that very same chart, you'll notice that stockpiles have been starting to draw down and that's initially what got my attention um, and I think perhaps we'll get to it later but um, that's a very key thing for, for investors and speculators to keep an eye on and uh, you'll actually the, the drawdown has actually been in excess of what I was expecting at this point in the cycle so 
uh, you know, clients of mine will, will know that I've, uh, I've been talking about nickel for the better part of about six to 12 months as being what a commodity I think could be one of the best performing commodities over the next few years. Um, and so far it's, you know, the, the tide is turning and it's, it's actually exceeding my expectations so far. Well, you made two interesting points here. You have a supply deficit and an 80% reduction in price here. And that really prompts, you know, some unique opportunities here for us. Let me ask you this, if I may. Do you foresee a catalyst that will constrain supply in the future or add to the demand? Yeah, so I guess the main the main uh, driver uh, that I see, you know, moving the nickel price higher is it's a very crucial ingredient in just about every uh, every type of lithium ion battery there are out there. Okay, so if you go and have a look at all the various chemistries, most of them are very nickel rich. Um, so what we're seeing, um, or just starting to see, I, I actually think it hasn't even really hit yet. Uh, is is increased buying um, from from those getting set uh, in the in the electric vehicle space where they need to uh, they don't actually need refined you know nickel nickel metal um, they want they the EV industry uses nickel sulfate which is basically a nickel salt but you can make that you can process refined nickel into nickel sulfate so we're starting to see a little bit of an impact from that. Um, Nickel is, is also a what I would term a uh, kind of a affluent commodity. Uh, you know, stainless steel is obviously something that a that a uh, increasingly wealthy population consumes in in greater quantities as as they become more affluent. So, global growth. You know, I actually think global growth in places like China and in the developing world is driving this nickel drawdown at the moment. But I do foresee that in the in the near future, probably not in the next 12 months, but maybe. 18 to 24 to 36 months down the track, the growth of the electric vehicle uh, industry is going to be what drives nickel demand, refined nickel demand. And the key thing to note here is that all of that additional supply that came onto the market back in the late 2000s with the invention of nickel pig iron is completely unsuitable and unusable in the electric vehicle space. So basically that can go towards servicing demand from stainless steel fabrication and production but it cannot be used at all to create electric vehicles and uh, you know lithium-ion batteries to, to go into the cathode of uh, of, of lithium-ion batteries so in a nutshell yeah that uh, that ev demand is going to directly impact on the, what's called what we term class one nickel which is what the lme stockpiles represent you hit on some very uh key points here and that's a lot of ambiguity that i hear regarding the nickel space is this there's excess supply that can be used and you just addressed it cannot be used so for our listeners please do take note here but i want to stick with this theme here for uh the supply deficit where is current production coming from and will that remain for the future yeah so there's two very distinct again different styles or, or different classes of, of nickel supply here the the pig iron and the ferro nickel that's coming out of you know that's getting fed into the Chinese blast and arc furnaces. Um, so this is the supply that can't be used in, by electric vehicle uh, fabricators and manufacturers. Um, is coming from places like uh, primarily from places like uh, Indonesia and the Philippines. Uh, so basically what they do is they they literally just dig it up and put it on a ship and ship it to China and and it's basically like 
iron nickel rich dirt that, that goes over there so so that's that's where that supply largely comes from there's a little bit coming out of australia but but mainly places like new caledonia uh indonesia and the philippines um class one nickel or refined nickel comes from you know a whole host of other places around the world um major major producer is russia um with norilsk nickel one of the larger mining companies out there that, that is a major producer of nickel outside of that um you know, another major name you probably would have heard of is something like Voises Bay up in Canada. But outside of that, there's very little in the way of primary nickel production, it's primary nickel sulfide productions, I should say. So sulfide mines, uh, we, we won't get too much into the weeds here, but, but they are the type of mines that, that can easily produce uh, refined nickel. And they are very rare and there has been next to no major discoveries at least in the last five years. Um, the last one I can think of was the Serious Resources, who was run by legendary Australian prospector Mark Creasy. Uh, they discovered the Nova Bollinger, I think it was back in 2012, if I remember rightly. That's the last major nickel sulphide discovery that I can think of. So and that was over five years ago now. So that gives you an idea about how little nickel exploration there has been and how many new high quality class one nickel uh, discoveries and new projects are in the pipeline. It's, it's basically non-existent. Now, Sam, with the exclusion of Canada, for our listeners, how mining friendly are these jurisdictions? So, yeah, I mean, I guess Russia is pretty topical at the moment with the, uh, you know, with all the sanctions that are going on at the moment. Um, the Norilsk, the, the, company, the Russian company I mentioned, their share price got you know, got smashed 20% yesterday on the news. Um, so, so Russia's kind of self-explanatory. I, I personally think Russia's very cheap right now, but it does come with a high degree of geopolitical risk given the tensions there. The other, you know, the, the, the ferro and the pig, the ferro nickel and the pig iron producers, I would say, have a moderate to high degree of, of, of geopolitical risk. For those of you that aren't familiar, um, the Philippines have been doing all sorts of things and a lot of talk um, about cracking down on their mining industry and, and banning all sorts of, of open pit mining, basically exclusively because of the damage that these these nickel laterite um, mines have been causing to the countryside. So I would say there's, there's a relatively high degree of, of, of risk and potential disruptions to supply from that side. Um, outside of that, you're looking at places like uh, Australia, um, Canada, the US, um, you know, parts of Africa. There's, 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 there's potential around the world, but it's, it's just finding these deposits because they are so rare and, and so hard to find um, that we're just, we're just seeing next to nothing come through the, in terms of new high quality sulfide deposits that are capable of cheaply producing uh, class one nickel. Give us some numbers here. What are the global costs for production versus the island sustaining costs on nickel? Yeah, it's it's hard to give an exact number, but last I checked, I would say cash costs, industry-wide cash costs, are somewhere average around somewhere around four four dollars a pound, five dollars a pound. If you take in all in sustaining costs, you're probably looking above six fifty a pound, and if you take into an, into consideration the true cost of production, including capital costs, which you should always do, you know, it's probably above seven or eight dollars a pound. Um, so nickel's currently trading in the mid six dollars a pound, or about thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a ton. 
So by and large, the industry is underwater at these prices. Switching gears, let's delve into cobalt. Sam, again, at the 10,000 foot level, share with us the supply and demand fundamentals for cobalt. Sure, cobalt's uh, completely different uh, to to nickel in a way, um, even though they're often found together. Um, The main, you know, by far and away the main producer in terms of a a jurisdiction of cobalt is is the Democratic Republic of Congo, (laughs) which I would probably describe as one of the worst and worst, uh, I should say the highest, it's a country with the highest geopolitical risk of almost any that I know right now. There's a whole lot of um, strife um, in terms of what's happening with the government there. Their their formerly democratically elected uh, president has failed to step down as he is constitutionally mandated to. Um, That was over a year ago now. Um, So there's a whole lot of shenanigans going on there, a whole lot of conflict, um, you know, potential for civil war, that, that type of thing. I don't know whether that will happen or not, but... There's some not good things going on over there. Um, on top of that, it's a very it's a very poor country. There's a lot of historical conflicts between um, you know n- different tribes within the country and things like that. So it's not a very safe place uh, to have one of the key ingredients for electric vehicle you know lithium-ion batteries um, to, to you know 65% of global supply coming from this this country. So that's what initially got me interested in cobalt well over a year ago. Uh, I don't know if you're able to link to um, some articles, but I can send you some articles, Maurice, that I've put out about a year ago um, that kind of explain the situation there. But um, so, so basically, we've got a huge amount of, su- of supply coming out of a single country that has extremely elevated geopolitical risk. Demand side of, equ- of the equation, the main driver moving forward is going to be the growth of electric vehicles. Now, cobalt is, along with nickel and a, a few other elements, is one of the key ingredients in the cathode um, component of electric vehicles. So it is the part, it is the it is the ingredient that controls or, or has a large impact on both the stability and the amount of energy um, a, a battery can store. You know, the amount of time you can draw, or the, or the amount of energy that, that the battery can hold. And, you know, it, it greatly affects the range of your, of your electric vehicles. So I can't see it being replaced anytime soon. And I can see a huge increase in demand coming as electric vehicles proliferate. Um, so, given that given we've got an extremely highly risky geopolitical um, s- supply backdrop with a exceptional, uh, you know, growth outlook in terms of demand of the demand side, um, it's it's a very interesting proposition. So, um, and obviously the cobalt prices has already gone up dramatically in the in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So. We're already well into the the cobalt price re-rate. Well, you've already answered part of my question here. So the current production is coming from the DRC, and as a speculator, you know you you your eyes light up when you have this geopolitical turmoil. But let me ask you this: Are there will that change in the future? Do you foresee other production uh, countries coming with a production? Cobalt's a really interesting one because it's it's rare, but it is. It's it's relatively pervasive in the you know in very low quantities in, in rocks around the world. But what it, what it's what is really rare is cobalt in economic concentrations. So there are very few places around the world that 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 have that have cobalt in, in economic quantities that that can be mineable. So basically, the main source of cobalt that I see outside of the Congo moving forward is likely to be. 
uh, laterite, so the very same type of deposit that the, the nickel pig iron we talked about earlier uh, often has very high, or, or not very high, but you know, economic quantities of cobalt in it. And the one key jurisdiction I've been focusing on is Australia because it has the same type of deposits as, as the Philippines and the Indonesias and the New Caledonias that we've talked about, yet it's obviously a far safer jurisdiction. So there are a handful or more of, of these nickel cobalt laterite plays in Australia and that's where I've largely been focusing my attention because I think that the the electric vehicle industry is going to value security of supply uh, over price in the, in the mid to long terms. So in other words, they'll be willing to pay up for their, for their nickel and their cobalt, uh, cobalt in particular, if it's being mined in a, in a jurisdiction, they're not worried about blowing up into a civil war and, and, and losing that supply in six months' time because these companies are spending billions of dollars in CapEx, you know, building these factories. The last thing they need is, is you know, s- supply crunch when it comes to cobalt. So um, I'm keeping a very, very, very close eye on the, on the Australian uh, nickel-cobalt uh, plays. I, I will say, though, that they, these type of plays are more of a speculative investment than a you know investment grade type of uh, type of proposition. They they are you know I kind of I view them as being almost at the money at current prices. Um, so they do require higher nickel in particular prices, um, but but nickel and cobalt prices to 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 actually you know pay off in the long run. Now, Sam, before we leave uh, cobalt here, let me ask you this one final question here because I asked it about nickel. Talk to us about the global cost for production versus the cash costs and the all-in sustaining cost for cobalt. Sure. It's very hard to say um, because 90, probably I would say 97% of cobalt is produced as a byproduct. So there isn't really a cost curve out there for nickel that you can examine. Um, usually it goes as either a credit towards nickel or, or copper production. So looking at it in terms of the cost cost to produce cobalt doesn't you know I don't really have any any good any good figures out there sorry what I would suggest what I would say is uh, it, it look at cobalt as a way to make to, to render these these other these other nickel in particular but nickel and cobalt uh, sorry nickel and copper projects um, economic for example there's a company I, I watch relatively closely that just put out a feasibility study uh, the, the nickel uh, all-in sustaining costs uh, per pound is something like five, five to six dollars, and with the cobalt credits, that drops to about a dollar. So that goes to show you how how much these the, co- the cobalt credits they're getting from their project go towards making these these projects economic. So basically, renders a project that would be completely uneconomic at current nickel prices. Uh, you know. Moderately to, to moderately economic at current prices and extremely economic at you know say twenty thousand dollars a ton uh, nickel. Well, Sam, thank you for a very comprehensive interview regarding cobalt and nickel. Let me ask you this here: Does Sprott Global Resource Investments still provide a free grading of one's natural resource portfolio at no cost and obligation? Absolutely, yes. So if you want me to take a look at your portfolio, uh, particularly those with a, with a sort of EV um, metal and material focus, I'd be more than happy to give you a no obligations ranking of your portfolio. Um, bear in mind that this is not a, you know, wouldn't be investment advice or anything, and it'd be a, a one to ten uh, a ranking. 
Um, but if you would like to take me up on that offer, um, my email is sbroom, so that's S-B-R-O-O-M at sprotglobal.com. Um, so I'd be more than happy to receive your requests and uh, give you no obligations ranking there. Yeah, Sam, let me ask this as well. Uh, how do you want someone to forward an email to you? Do, is this an attachment or just in the body of the email? Either or. So you can either attach a, a Excel um, attachment or simply just list your uh, your portfolio in, in bullet point form in the email. All right. And also, do we have a contact phone number for you there at Sprott? Uh, yes, we do. Um, so you can get me at 800-477-7853. And just ask for me. My name again is Sam Broom. And Sam, give us that number one more time. Uh, it's 800-477-7853. And for our listeners, we want to remind you to register for the Sprott Natural Resource Symposium, which will be conducted the 17th through the 20th of July in Vancouver, British Columbia. Just click on the registration tab on our website for your tickets. Featured speakers will be Rick Rule, Doug Casey, Jim Rickards, Jim Grant, just to name a few. And we will be present, and we look forward to meeting you. And Sam, let me ask this as well. Will you be in attendance? I am certainly planning on being there. I have my first child due uh, in early August, so as long as, uh, as long as that doesn't happen ahead of schedule, I will certainly be there. All right, look forward to seeing you there. And last but not least, please visit our website, www.provenimprobable.com, where we interview the most respected names in the natural resource space. You may reach us at contact at provenimprobable.com. Sam Broom of Sprott Global Resource Investments, thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Thank you for joining us today on Proven and Probable. Remember to like and subscribe for more conversations with the most respected names in the natural resource space. Check out our website at www.provenandprobable.com. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial advisor.